guys, today I'm going to read chapter 15 of the Shakespeare Scribe, so here I go. As we headed for the Merchant Adventures Hall, I glanced furtively at Jamie Ritzaw again and again, trying to get in my mind around the notion that this was my father walking next to me. It was difficult. As far as I could tell, our looks were as unlike as could be. My hair was dark, his was fair. My eyes were blue, his were his were brown. My frame was small and slight. His was large and stout. My mind was mingle mangle of thoughts and questions, each fighting to be spoken first. Some I had been wondering about for years. Others had occurred to me but a moment before. Some were so tribal and foolish that I thrust them aside. Others were so difficult that I felt I dared not to put them to him just yet. I began with the ones that had been with me longest. Can you? Can you tell me what my mother looked like? At first, I thought he had not heard me, but he looked, for he looked lost in his thoughts too. Finally, he raised his head, gazed at me a long moment, and then said, "Like you." And what was her son, sonner surname? He scratched his short beard thoughtfully. Hmm. It's been a long time. Give me a moment. Rogers. That's it. What? She no kin left there? Here? He shook her head. None. If I, if she had, I would have found them. Would you? I said more bitterly than I meant to. You failed to find me. He looked to me with a look that was half angry, half reproachful. I had no idea you existed, he said. He walked on, on in silence. Despite the fact that I was head shorter, I found myself having to slow my pace so as to get ahead of him. He did not limp exactly. He seemed merely to favor his left side a little, to hesitate slightly each time he brought his left leg forward. Through a carving of the snarling lion's head on the handle, he did not learn uh, on it, but walked along wriggly, upright, swinging the stick at his side. I'm sorry to slow you down, he said. I've a wand that gives me a twig now and then. A sword wound? He... A wound that gives me a twig now and then. A sword wound? I asked. No, a fragment of an Irish cannonball. It went through my hip, the surgeon told me, and lodged near and lodged near the base of my spine. Gog's blood, I breathed. All I've ever done is mock fighting on the stage. I can scarcely imagine what it's like to be thick of a real battle. I hope you never have to learn, said Jamie Ritz, soft, soberly. I hoped so too. Yet I couldn't help feeling, for the first time, a trifle ashamed of my profession, 
the wondering what a man who had truly known death and tragedy would make our pale imitations. That's very odd, I said. That you should be a soldier. He frowned slightly. Why? What do I look as though I'd be a bowman? Nay, nay, I replied hastily. I only meant it's odd because not long ago someone asked me about asked me about father and on a whim i said i was a soldier uh, had you always been or were you apprenticed like me apprenticed by a bow right a bow right not in yorkshire surely laughing jamie redsaw held up his stick as to ward off my un- onslaught of questions patient boy patience we can't hope to make up for 15 years in as many minutes, you know. As I said, I did not disappear. There will be plenty of opportunity later for all of your questions. For now, let us simply get to know one another as new-made acquaintances, shall we? I nodded, embarrassed. Hi, I'm sorry. By the time we reached the Merchant's Adventures Hall, a long stream of playgoers were playing their pennies to Sam, who had a garter's box suspended by a throg around his neck. Where have you been? he wanted to know. Everybody's, everyone's been asking me. I've been, I was, it was too much to try to explain. I'll tell you later, I mumbled and squeezed past the playing folk. Here, Sam called after Jamie Redsaw. You've got to pay your penny, sir. As with me, Sam, I told him. Who is he? Asked Sam, never one to hold back a question, however difficult. I glanced uncertainly at Jamie Redsaw, who gave me a conspiratorial wink. A new made acquaintance, he said. At one end of the hall, a city had erected the stage of nearly as large as one of the globe. I led Jamie Redsaw around the curtain to where the players, already in costume, were making up one another's faces in the absence of distant mirror. Sorry I'm late, I blundered, everyone, before everyone could take me a task for it. It won't happen again, I promise. As it's not like you said Mr. Hemmings. We thought you must have a good reason. Actually, said Will Sly, we're taking wagers. Mr. Shakespeare fancied that our old master and kidnapped you. Jack was sure you'd deserted and gone back to London. My con- conception what was that you spent all your salary on a strong drink and were out cold in a tavern somewhere. Well, you're wrong, I said, though I was in several taverns. Aha, uh-huh, said Will triumphantly. I was nearest Mark. Who's your friend? asked Mr. Arman. A would-be player? Nay, as I hesitated in the notion of having a father at hand. It was so unfamiliar to me. I'm Jamie Redsaw, he volunteered. And you have a performance to do, so I'd best let you go in. Go on with it. Which? We'll talk later. He stepped down from the platform and disappeared 
behind the curtain. Alarmed, I ran after him. You're not leaving. You're not leaving? No, no, he assured me. I'm just, I'll just be out front here watching the play. I nodded and backed away, keeping an eye on him as long as possible, fearful, still that he might vanish, and with him, the only link I had to my heritage. The company were all too busy to question me further. I helped make up fences to pin together splinting seams. I made certain all the properties were in their places. I received from the script trunk a plot of the play, which showed all the actors' entrances and hung it on the back side of the curtain. It was fortunate that I had done all these things a hundred times before, for my mind has not was not on them. In between tasks, I stole a look out into the audience to make sure that Jamie Redsaw was still there. When I could not spot him at once, my heart seemed to stop. <coughs> when I caught sight of him, uh, off to one side, perched upon one of the stools that were reserved for those who could afford an extra spot sixpence. The performance began. I volunteered to hold the book and throw the lines out to those actors who were floundering. Though Salpalti had never play before played the part of Lavina in stage, he showed no sign of needing help. On a few occasions, he did lose his way a little, and he he managed to get his bearings again with no prompting from me. I wished now more than ever that I that I had not been so obstinate as to let him have a part. I longed to make my father proud of me, and I could not do what from behind the stage. And yet perhaps it was just as well this way, considering the state my wind was in, I would likely have forgotten half my lines. I my I did my best to pick out flaws in Salpalvi's performance, and I did indeed find two. When he came on at the end of the act two, with his hands looped off, I could see the tips of his fingers poking out of one sleeve, and then, and when he tripped over the hem of his dress in act two, I distinctly heard him mutter a curse, and despite the fact that his tongue was supposedly cut out. But as far as acting ability was concerned, I had to admit, difficult as it was for me to do so, as he, as he played the part, as the theater's folks say, to the life. All the trace of the spoiled and self-important Salpalvi had vanished, and in this place a pettiest young woman who had been ravished and wronged. When I had played Lavinia and was called upon to scratch out the names of the villains in the dirt, holding the staff in my teeth and guiding it with my stumps, my clumsiness sometimes elected laughter not pity from the audience. When Sal Palvi did the scene, 
There was no single sinker, not sound of expect, perhaps a sniffle or two, from the small, soft-hearted member of the audience. I could not help it. I disliked him more than ever. True to his word, Jamie Redsaw rejoined us after the play was done and returned with us to the inn. Though he, though the situation was an awkward one for me, I would have known how to conduct myself. I had, after all, had dozens of fa- uh, of fathers before this. Leonato in Much Ado, Shylock in The Merchants of Venice, Paulinus in ha- Hamlet. Yet I had always been a daughter, never a son. I felt as though I were living out that dream ever after dreads, and one in which he is unexpectedly called upon to play a role totally unfamiliar to him. I had no notion of what to say or where the day's developments might lead. Happily, Jamie Redsaw seemed more sure to himself than I. Over dinner, he revealed to the company what he had implied to me. I had expected my fellow players to react with surprise and revelation, and they did. I had also expected them to be delighted for me. I had, after all, after fifteen years of thinking myself an orphan, discovered that I had a family, or at least part of one. They were cordial enough to be sure, and offered their congratulations, but I sensed a certain reserve, especially on the part of Mr. Armin and Mr. Shakespeare, as though they were ta- taking Jamie Redsaw's measure. It put me in mind of the way they behaved toward the players who auditioned for temporary roles at the Globe. I had the feeling they were de- debating whether or not he was uh, suited to be a part. As for me, I was, I suppose, more like a playwright who has waited upon year upon year for some actor to uh, audition for audition for a crucial role in this play and gotten not a single prospect. I would likely have taken anyone for having along. Not that I was disappointed when the player got. Watching Jamie Redsaw converse with the members of the company, I felt an unexpected and unfamiliar swell of something that I could only identify as pride. Though he was a simple soldier, a man of action, and not a scholar, he seemed quite comfortable in the company of men and intelligent and witty as the sharers. In fact, he behaved as if they were not new-made acquaintances, but the oldest friends. If he was discomfied at all their apprising manner, he did not show it. Indeed, he seemed not to notice. He proceeded to give me a highly entertaining and highly eh, exaggerated account of how 
he and I met. When he recounted how I fell off my stool in astonishment, I drew a round of raculous laughter. He, though I did not recall doing such a thing, I did not spoil heraldry by saying so. In the midst of Jamie Redsaw's story, the innkeeper approached us and cleared his throat. Begging your pardon, sirs, but there is a white outside, says, I desire to speak with someone in your company. Well, have him come in, said Mr. Hemmings. I says I wishes to talk out there. The sheriffs glanced at one another. Mr. Armin got to his feet. I'll go see what it's about. When he was gone, Jamie Redsaw resumed his story, and but the, it was interrupted again by a sudden loud snoring sound up close at hand. I turned to see Sam had put his head down on the table and was fast asleep. Several of the company laughed, but I did not, for I had taken note of how flushed Sam's face looked and how the sweat stood out on his brow. I hope I was not ill. Just tired, I expect, said Mr. Hemmings. That gathing box is heavy burden for a boy, especially considering how much money we took in, added Mr. Phillips. Why don't you help him to bed, Wage? I hesitated, reluctant, yet to let Jamie Redsaw out of my sight. Seeming to sense my dilemma, he smiled and nodded. Go on, I'll be still here when you get back. As I assisted Sam in mounting the stairs, I heard Jamie Redsaw take up the thread of his story again. I could not make out the words. Whatever they were, they drew more oppressive laughter from his audience. When I returned to the main room of the inn, however, no one was laughing, and Jamie Redson was no longer holding forth. Everyone was silent and sober-faced. What's wrong? I asked. Mr. Armin, who had taken his place again at the table, looked at, up at me. Our stay has been cut short. For what reason? I cried. Did they not like us? I'm afraid we've been upstaged, replied Mr. Armin. By the plague. So that was chapter 15. Bye, guys. See you later. See you later. See you later. See ya. See ya. Later. Bye, guys.